At his, uh, <coughs> at his inauguration in 1994 as his country's first black uh, president, Nelson Mandela said, this, we enter into a covenant that we shall build a society in which all South Africans, both black and white, will be able to walk tall without any fear in their hearts, assured of their inalienable right to human dignity, a rainbow nation at peace with itself and the world. And as we know, Mandela was, had been locked up for 27 years in Robben Island before he emerged from prison to negotiate a political settlement and, and free elections that followed from that and so on. But before he went into prison, uh, he told the court uh, this, during my lifetime I have dedicated myself to this struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination. I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and achieve, but if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. And while in prison, uh, he began his autobiography, which later he finished, uh, and it's called A Long Walk to Freedom. And near the end of his, his autobiography, uh, he says this, I have tried not to falter. I have made missteps along the way, but I can rest only for a moment, for with freedom comes responsibilities. And I dare not linger, for my long walk is not yet ended. The, the formation of a nation or the, the reformation of a nation is a difficult time. Uh, it's a time fraught with many problems, so many problems, that it may even just seem too much. Moses and the Israelites were also on a long walk to freedom and the formation of a nation. And looking at this passage that Mike read for us, I want to, to look first of all that they were meant to be a nation for the nations. And so far in this section of Exodus that we've been looking at in recent weeks, we've, we've looked at the fact that Israel were a delivered people. They were a people that brought, God brought out of slavery through the Red Sea. Uh, he rescued them from that for himself. Immediately they sang the song of Moses and of Miriam, an indication that they were called out to be a worshipping people, to be dedicated to the worship of the one true God. And they were called out to be a people of faith, depending on God in the, in the desert, even for their daily bread and water. And the victory, uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago, their victory over the Amalekites showed, again, the same faithful dependence that they were meant to place on God and meant to be exercised through being a people of prayer. And then last week, uh, on Remembrance Sunday, we saw that they were meant to be a people who remember all that God has done for them, what he had promised to them uh, as well, so that they would obey all that he said. They were a people with a past and a people with a future. And as we've been going through these passages, we've been making the point all along that this whole great narrative story of the Exodus is all a, a forerunner. It's a pointer. It's in the scriptures directing us ahead to an even greater narrative and story of salvation. When one greater than Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come and deliver his people from slavery to sin, when he would bring them, and bring them ultimately to not the promised land of, of, of Canaan, but bring them to the promised land of heaven. 
And along the way, his church is to be a worshipping church dedicated to the worship of God through Jesus Christ. We're to be a church that lives by faith, trusting in him for our daily needs. A church that lives by faith that is demonstrated through daily and dedicated prayer. And we too are to be a people who remember, as we do in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross And we are to remember the promises that he has made his church so that we too will live in loving obedience to him. And in this passage today, uh, we see Moses' father-in-law Jethro coming to visit and bringing his wife Zipporah and two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Their very names remind Moses that he had been a foreigner in a foreign land but that God had been his helper. We don't know when when Zephyrah and his sons left him. Perhaps he sent them away from Egypt to escape the plagues. Perhaps he sent them away when they had crossed the Red Sea for for safety. We we don't know, but but Jethro was was bringing them back again. An interesting thing is that Jethro was a Midianite priest. He was a Midianite priest. Now, later on in the history of Israel, the Midianites would become firm enemies of Israel and there would be battles and fights. But in this passage, we see Jethro, this Midianite priest, coming to acknowledge the one true God and offering sacrifices to him and sitting with Aaron and breaking bread together in the presence of God. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And this Midianite priest acknowledging the God of Israel we get a hint of God's purposes for his nation because Israel as a nation was meant to be a nation for the nations they were meant to be a nation that would bring God's light to the nations and we'll discover later on throughout the Old Testament that they failed abjectly in this You see, God promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. No longer, uh, Genesis 17, no longer will you be called Abram. Your father, uh, your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And we see this echoed hundreds of years later in Isaiah 60 verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Isaiah, the prophet, was was reminding the people, a people who were were wayward, people who had wandered away from God, a people who were disobedient, what God had meant them to be. He had meant them to be a light to the nations, to bring the nations to God and to bring God to the nations, but they had failed completely. And so right at the beginning of this nation story, uh, this, this story about Jethro gives to us a hint of what was meant to be. Israel being a light to the nations, but they turned away from that. But it also points ahead to a time when God's purposes would be fulfilled, not through the nation of Israel any longer, but through Christ Jesus and his church. 
and how God's purposes on earth today are now worked out through his church and no longer the nation of Israel. They were meant to be a nation for the nations, but they were not. But now the church is a church for the nations. Moses was forming a nation, but what that nation was never able to do, Christ Jesus has done through his church. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that, what? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine that the nations may come and so glorify your Father in heaven. And in Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of every people group, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This the church has done. The church has carried the gospel to every nation. It's not a job that's finished. There are many people, groups, who are yet to hear the name of Jesus. There are many uh, languages in which the scriptures have yet to be translated uh, and so on. It's a, it's, a, it's a job that is ongoing. But to a greater rather than lesser extent, the gospel has been taken to the nations. This, the church continues to work at today until the full number of Christ's people are brought in and, and until his kingdom is brought to its conclusion in Christ's return. Over the past term in Legacurry, in, in our home groups, uh, we've been studying the PCI Essentials uh, course geared to help us to become disciples who make disciples. Um, and this is, this is our calling. This is what we're meant to do. This is the calling of all Christians, all who own the name of Jesus. We are to go into our homes and our neighborhoods, our places of work and play. We are to proclaim and chat and share the kingdom of God. In the study we did this past week, or at least in the Thursday morning fellowship, uh, we, did, uh, we read these words. It says, this mission of Jesus is not one of staying and waiting, waiting for people to come. Sorry, this mission of Jesus is not one of staying and waiting for people to come. This is an outward moving mission. And it goes on, when Jesus calls you, he equips you for the task. He asks you to do something and always gives you what you need to do it. So God's purposes for the nations are now worked out through his church. We are a church for the nations. And that begins next door, at the next desk, at the next table. And then thirdly, an ordered people. And we move into sort of the second half of the passage here. Nelson Mandela, when he first became black president of uh, the first black president of South Africa, he said that, that, that with that freedom came responsibilities. The responsibility to, to change a whole administration and to seek to build his dream of, of the rainbow nation at peace with itself and the world. Uh, and that's no easy task. <coughs> Excuse me. It's never an easy task to bring together former enemies to work and to serve together. And we know all about that uh, when we look at Stormont 
Uh, how you bring former enemies together to work together is, is probably a part of a minor miracle that our warring factions have been able to work together for as long as they have uh, before coming to this impasse uh, that we're in at the moment and continue to pray into that for a way through it to a lasting and longer peace. But Mandela... Uh, tried to work this out through South Africa as well. And we might argue that South Africa is maybe further away today than it was when Mandela was alive. <clears throat> but the people Moses brought out of Egypt had been slaves for 400 years. They were used to being ordered what to do, ordered about, told what to do and when to do it. They didn't have their own indigenous administration. They didn't have their own leaders and rulers. Within their own community, they had elders and leaders, but they were told what to do as slaves. And they clearly had very little administrative structure and even less of a legal framework to direct them. And so whenever they had a dispute, they brought it to Moses. And he decided between the parties and informed them of God's decrees and instructions. Verse 16. But the people stood round him from morning till evening, and he was wearing himself and wearing them out as well. And so Jethro uh, gave him some advice. Uh, he speaks to his son-in-law, he says, Moses, he says, first of all, that Moses should be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to God. He's, he's the intermediary, if you like, to bring their disputes to God. Secondly, he's to teach the people God's decrees and instructions and show them the way they were to live and how they were to behave. So there, there's clearly some law and practice here before he gets the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. There's clearly some form of legal structure here, but it's not fully developed. But he's to teach it to the people so that they will then know how they are meant to live. And uh, it's there then when, just when they have an issue that they will be able to bring it to Moses. Uh, they needed structure, they needed law, they needed order. This nation needed to be formed into, they needed to have government and, and administration. And then Moses was to appoint men as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They were to serve as judges for the people and only bring the most difficult cases to Moses. So Jethro uh, acknowledges that they need structure, they need administration, they need government, they need a legal system but he also recognises that while this makes good sense, that unless God blesses it, it won't work. And so he says in verse 19, may God, you know, as you do this, may God be with you. And then verse 23 he says, if you do this and God so commands, then you'll be, you'll be blessed and you won't wear yourself out. So even, even in Jethro there is acknowledgement that God is the God behind government. God is still the God of the nations. He's the one who needs to be acknowledged and how little he is acknowledged in the government of our land today. What were the qualifications of these leaders? Well, he was to select men from all the people who feared God. Who feared God. Trustworthy men who hated dishonest gain. I haven't read that in too many manifestos in recent years. The desired result for Moses and the people, that they, verse 22 and 23, that that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this in God's so command, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So this was the beginning 
of an administration, a structure, the order, uh, the order, new order to civil life. And the nation was beginning to take shape. Uh, and likewise, when we jump ahead and, and point forward to the New Testament, the church was also, that was meant to be a church to the nations, also needed structure and it needed order. And so we, we have an ordered nation. We also have an ordered church. Jesus called to himself 12 disciples. They were his mentor group. He taught them. They were to observe him and watch him in preaching and in ministry. He sent them out on a mission trip, uh, on mission trips uh, where they were to put into practice what they had heard and what they had seen, proclaiming the kingdom of God wherever they went and reporting back to Jesus. They're, they're, then their number increased and, they, and were added to, and he sent out 72 in pairs into mission. And eventually, he would fill them on, when he ascended into heaven, he would send his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He would fill them with his Holy Spirit and he would send them into all the world as his disciples, who in turn would make disciples of all nations. And this is what the church has done ever since. In Acts 14, uh, we read that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. These elders that were appointed, they were to teach the church. They were to be an example to the church. They were to protect the church from error. They were to discipline the church. They were to lead the church. They were to pro proclaim the gospel, win others for Christ, and build them into disciples who in turn would go and make other disciples. And that's what they're still for. That's why as a Kirk session we have decided to meet one Sunday evening in the month instead of an evening service uh, so that we can challenge and encourage one another in our own discipleship in order that we might win others and train others to be Christ's disciples. Our role as elders in Legacy is to give order and structure to the church to make sure that our word and our welcome and our worship and our witness are orderly and not chaotic. It is our responsibility to teach the church in this place, to be an example to the church, to protect the church from error, to discipline the church and lead the church. We are to proclaim the gospel, to win others for Christ, to build them as disciples and send and equip you as disciples to go out and make other disciples. That's our job. That's our role. You know, when we ask the question, what's the church for? What, 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 what is the church for? You see, some think that the church is primarily pastoral, to care for those who come along and their families, but it's not. And some think it's a kind of preservative to keep Christian values alive and so children will grow up knowing the difference between right and wrong, but it's not. And some come to church for what they, they get from it. They, they come to receive and believe that this is what the church is for, to, to serve us. But it's not. Jesus' last command to his disciples before his crucifixion was, go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus' last instruction before he ascended into heaven was, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The order and the structure and the administration of the church is to enable us to be a church for the nations. In, in 
Kirk session at the moment, and, and, and some of the, 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 the home group leaders have it as well. Um, we're reading a book called The Trellis and the Vine. And a trellis is to provide a structure on which a vine can grow and produce fruit. The, the, the object is to grow the vine, not to care for the trellis. And in the church, the structures and the order and the buildings and the organizations are the trellis. The vine is the kingdom of God. And the object of all of our organizations and our structures and our buildings and so on is to help us to make disciples of Jesus Christ. When our organizations become just a means of having fun or when the preservation of our buildings becomes an object in itself or when our structures occupy so much of our time that we don't have time for people, then we stop spending and we stop, then we start spending more time in the trellis than on the vine. And then we cease to be a church for the nations. I believe that there are two primary purposes in us coming together here on a Sunday morning. The first is to give to Almighty God his due worship and service, to acknowledge that he is God and we are his servants, to worship him. And secondly, to be challenged and equipped to be a better disciple for Jesus Christ in the coming week that we in turn may make disciples of others. Israel needed to become an ordered people so that they could become a nation for the nations, but they failed to do that. And that was always going to be the case because it was a forerunner of God's greater plan for his church. We are to be an ordered church. We are to have order and structures and leadership and organizations and so on. But all of this is to equip us to produce fruit. To make us disciples who go to the nations. A church for the nations. As I wind up here, um, at the end of the chapter it's interesting that we read, Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. doesn't say anything more than that but I wonder what message what message about God that Jethro took back with him when he, he arrived back I wonder did, did he gather his family and, and his neighbours and, and did he gather other members of his tribe and, and did he tell them this message of God that this God who rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians the Lord who is greater than all other gods. Did he, did he take that message back with them? Did he, did he chat about it the way the people did when they were dispersed from Jerusalem all through Judea and Samaria and into the farthest corners of the world? world? Did, they, did they chat about the God who is greater than all gods? And as we go home today, what message about God do we take home with us? The message about the Lord who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. The God of light. The Lord who is greater than all other gods. The God who reaches out to us in love and forgiveness and mercy and salvation. Is that the message that we'll take home with us? And let me ask another question. Who are we going to share it with in this coming week? Who are we going to tell it to 
send a card to, make a telephone call to, look for an opportunity even just to say a word to. Who are we going to share it with? Tell it to in the coming week. John 15 verse 16 says, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. That's why we're here. That's why we're challenged. That's why we pray. That's why we're sent out. With our own personalities. Into our own places. Our own spheres of influence. That in whatever way we can. According to who we are as people. That we may share that good news. To make disciples of others. That they too may come to know the love. And the grace. And the mercy. And the peace. That comes through Jesus Christ. And faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we take just a a moment in stillness to think ahead to this coming week. The people will meet, work alongside, eat with, play with, chat to, sit beside. And Father, we pray that you would make us more alert of the opportunities that you give to us to share Jesus with others in natural, normal ways, with gentleness and with grace, as we're told to do. But to look for those opportunities, to pray for them, and to take with them, take them when you provide them. And Father, for some of us that may mean going and saying sorry because of things that we've said or done or the way that we've treated people or our general attitude towards them that has actually been very lacking in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they may actually look at us and say, well, if that's what a Christian's like, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want Christ if that's what it's being like. And Father, if we need to go and say sorry and change our attitudes this week, help us to do that. And we also acknowledge, Lord, that we can't do this on our own. As the the people of Israel had to depend on you for their, their daily needs in the wilderness and in battle. So, Father, as we go into a spiritual battle, we can't depend just on our own strength. We must depend upon you. And so we ask you now to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And in the opportunities you give us this week, that you would give us the courage of your Holy Spirit to take those opportunities and in even smaller, gentle ways to share Jesus with others, that we may see them coming to know and to love the Lord Jesus, to know his forgiveness and to know the hope of eternal life in him. Father, we want to pray for Brian and Maria Liggett in South Africa and thank you for their work and witness there. Thank you that we had them home with us here for a period of time. And we, we recently, and we pray that you would continue to bless and enrich and provide for them in their witness for you. We pray for Cesar and Jessica Morales and their witness for you in Lima and Peru. For Cesar in the school and, uh, and Jessica and her work with children and with, with ladies. 
Father, may they share Jesus. And Father, we want to, to pray also for uh, Claire, uh, uh, Ariane, uh, and Amir uh, in their work with uh, Persian uh, Muslims in London. Father, we pray for the concern they have for the, their, the people in the earthquake in Iran at this time. And we pray for your provision there to help those difficulties to be alleviated. But we pray for, pray for Claire and Amir as they seek to witness to their own people group within London. And pray that they too would continue to see folk coming to be disciples of Jesus. Fill our hearts, Lord, with a passion for the gospel, a desire to make Jesus known, and with the incredible wonder of what it is ourselves to be forgiven to be born again in the Spirit of God, to be made new in the likeness of Christ. And may we share the wonder of that day and daily. To your glory and to your honour we pray. Amen.